Please stand for the reading of God's word. Again, we're in James 2, 14 through 26. Faith and deeds. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you not want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My good buddy Joel just knocked the microphone right off my ear. (laughs) With friends like that. Who needs friends? Good morning. Uh, Okay, there we are. Um, Good good start, right? Great start. Um, Great to see you all. Uh, I loved hearing you sing. Holy, 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 we just launched, and that was beautiful. Love. That was so, I wonder what God's heart experiences in those moments. That was very moving to me. Um, So good to be with you always and do this together. Uh, We are going through the book of James, in case you didn't know that. Uh, Welcome to the book of James. And uh, today we come upon um, a really important passage uh, for two reasons. One is I I would say this this passage is the theological heart of this book. This gets at like the, the core theological foundation that James is driving. And we actually saw it uh, back in chapter one, the first uh, week I took you to this passage, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And then this verse, but do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. That is James's core burden to tell us. And, And in our passage, we see it this way, faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead. And this is James' burden to convey a life of faith in action, right? How does your faith play out in how you actually live your life? And so this gets right at the heart of that today. So it's very important. Uh, The other other reason, you may not know this if you haven't been in the New Testament a lot in your life, but uh, the other reason this is a really important passage is it... it, um, it invites us into, I'll call a, a core tension, maybe. Some people would even say a contradiction that many people experience in the Bible. And that is, there's some things that James says in this passage that at least on the surface seem to directly contradict things that the Apostle Paul says in his letters. So let me show you. For example, Paul says in Romans 3:28, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law. 
And today, James is going to tell us, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And to my reading, that at least appears to be a direct contradiction. Uh, This has caused a lot of Christians a lot of stress over the last 2,000 years. Uh, The great reformer Martin Luther actually called uh, James's epistle an epistle of straw. He, he, he had come to believe in the, the, just the free grace of God. He could not understand how what James says here could possibly fit with that. And so his conclusion was, James is kind of like Bible-ish, you know, like it's sort of Bible adjacent maybe, um, but it's, it's, it's not as Bible as Paul is. Um, so really thoughtful, good people have had a hard time wrestling with this. And so um, a passage like this, you maybe haven't thought of these questions before, but it raises important questions like, uh, really important questions like, is the Bible coherent? <laughs> like the Bible's written by many authors. Are they actually consistent with, do their writings adhere with one another? And in asking that, is this actually the word of God or is this just people doing their best to you know, kind of stumble towards the truth together. So really important questions about the, the authority, the inspiration of the Bible. And of course, important questions about just our, our relationship. How does our relationship with God work? Like what makes us right with this God that we worship? What, what is it? What's he looking for in us that he says, I forgive you, I love you, I accept you. What, what keeps us in his good graces, if I can use that? Is, is it faith? Like, I just want you to trust me. That's it. Or is it, I want your faith and I want your obedience. Is it two things? Is it one thing? Is it some other thing? Like, what, how does this relationship actually work? Um, so those are really important questions. Uh, hopefully you, you sense that today. And so we get to, I'm actually going to spend two weeks on this passage um, let me just address uh, the first question about the consistency of the Bible. Uh, I do think James is right and Luther is wrong. I'm happy to go on record saying that, um, turns out. Um, I think we need to let the biblical authors speak, uh, use their words the way they want to use them, and speak to the audience that, that they are speaking to. And when we do that, a lot of these apparent contradictions kind of fall away. Um, so for instance, you know, the Apostle Paul is writing largely to a Gentile audience. Okay? So he's writing these letters to, to people who have come to faith in Jesus out of like the paganism of Roman culture, okay? out of idolatry, sexual immorality, uh, wild living. And now they've come to faith and the question is, do these wild pagans, picture sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of person, okay? do these people have to become good Jews in order to be a part of God's family? Like, do they have to, do they have to uh, observe, do they have to practice Seder? Do they have to observe kosher laws? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to, do they have to become good Jews in order to be part of God's people? And, and Paul's saying, no, they do not. Faith alone, even for the pagan crazy person, it's faith in Jesus alone that brings you into the family of God, that keeps you in the family of God, okay? Now, James, think about who's James writing to? Do you remember? He's writing to a largely Jewish audience. These are people who have been steeped in religion their whole lives, okay? People who are ethnically Jewish, and they think, the fact that I'm a Jew <laughs> makes me right with God, right? We are the chosen people. These are, these are people who, who know all the history of God's dealings. They understand who God is, uh, and they, they could presume it's, it's our Jewishness and our knowledge of God's story. That's what makes us right with God, and James wants to say, no, it's not. It's faith that makes you right with God. And that faith has to be a living faith. 
It can't just be about your Jewishness. You, it has to be lived, it has to be alive and active for it to be the thing that God looks at and says, yes, this is what makes us right. And so they're coming at a similar thing from different angles. And uh, we, I think we need to hear both of those messages. And we need to hear them at different times in our lives, actually. And so um, I don't think there's really any internal inconsistency. I want to just, uh, before I get to the passage, uh, there's one phrase that Paul uses in Romans um, that I think is really interesting. Uh, is this interesting to you guys? You, okay, good. Okay. I, I'm like, I love stuff like that. I don't feel like... I don't really wake up thinking about how Paul and James aligned this morning, but good, okay. That was a good, quick, resounding yes, good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. Um, am I boring you? Because I'm real excited up here. Um, let's think about Romans. Okay, most people would argue Romans is like the Apostle Paul's magnum opus, right? It's like his great laying out of his gospel of justification by faith. Uh, I would agree with that. Um, but there's a phrase he uses, he frames the whole letter, a phrase he uses at the very beginning and the very end that is fascinating to me. Let me show you this phrase. This is verse five, one of the first sentences, probably his first sentence. He has like 20 sent, uh, verse sentences. He's this long, he runs on sentences. Probably his first sentence or maybe second sentence in the whole letter. Through Christ, we, he, him and his associates, we receive grace and apostleship to call the Gentiles to, here's the phrase, the obedience of faith for Christ's name's sake. Paul says, I have been sent by Jesus to go out into the nations and to call people to the obedience of faith. Romans 16, the second to last sentence in the whole letter. Now to him who is able to establish you in according with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, so that all the nations or Gentiles might come to the obedience of faith. He writes a 16-chapter letter, and he says, my purpose in writing this letter is to call people among the nations to the obedience of faith. And I'm fascinated by that phrase. He does not say, my point is to call the Gentiles to faith. He doesn't say, my point is to call Gentiles to obedience. He doesn't even say, I'm calling them to faith and obedience, as if there's two things I'm calling them to. I'm calling all people to one thing, and I'm calling it the obedience of faith. Meaning, I think, the obedience that naturally comes when you start believing in God. Or the life you live when you are actually trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is the goal of my ministry, Paul says, is to call all peoples to this one thing. And I was trying to think of, like, what, what's a good analogy for this word, the obedience of faith? And my eight-year-old daughter gave me a great analogy last week. Um, she brought home from school, from her science class, something that almost every parent here has had their kid bring home at some point. And it was, I'll show you a picture. This is not the actual picture. But it was a little cup uh, with some dirt and some lima beans in it, right? And I remember doing that. I had, we did corn and lima beans when I was a kid. And she has this little lima beans, and there's, there's, it was a little higher than this when she brought it home than, than that, okay? And I was thinking, this is, this is a perfect analogy. Like, the, the, there's a seed, and seeds are really, I don't know if you thought about this, but seeds are really amazing things, aren't they? Like, seeds are miraculous. The, 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 all you have to do is you put them in soil and add water, light's helpful too, right? And there's so much potential of life packed in a tiny little seed. 
And Josie brought home this plant. It's still growing. It's like the plant is 20 times the size of the original seed. We've had to put it outside now. It's not working on the counter anymore. So it's out in our front yard. And um, it's an amazing thing. But, but the growth is entirely organic. And what I mean by that is what is growing is of the same thing as what started. It's not like there was a seed and then something different has been added on to that seed, right? All that's happening is the natural life of the seed is itself growing and producing this plant. But it is all of one thing. And if, if the plant were to die, it would tell you there's something wrong with the very life of this plant. If the seed is in fact alive, it will naturally do this. And this is, I think, what Paul is getting at with the obedience of faith, right? The seed is faith. It is trusting in who God is and what he has done through Jesus Christ. And the plant is the obedience of faith. It is the life that naturally emerges when you trust and believe in Jesus. It is not a separate thing. It is of the same kind. It is simply trust expressing itself in obedience, or as Paul says in Galatians, it is faith expressing itself in love. They're not a separate thing. It is the obedience of faith, or to use James's language, the faith that works. That's what we're talking about today. What does living faith look like? Okay, that's a very long preamble. I promise the rest won't be as long as the preamble. Well, it'll be longer than the preamble, but not, you know, relatively to the preamble, you know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah? With me? Okay. So, so this, what James is after um, is in this, he's getting us to consider what is the nature of true faith? What, what, is it, what does it look like to have real faith? And, and I want to invite you to, to sift this through your lives, not just theologically now, but personally. Ask yourself, do I have real faith? Um, do I have authentic? Is, the, is there a seed that's alive? Um, that's the question James is asking. Look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? If, if there's a seed that never is producing a plant, could that kind of seed save them? Rhetorical question, answer, no. <laughs> Why? Not because God's looking for works, but because that's not real faith. That, that is, there's no life in that seed. And so what he does in this passage is he gives us Two examples of, I'll call them counterfeit faith, okay? Non-real faith, kind of looks like faith but isn't faith. And then he gives us two positive examples of living faith. I, I messed up, Kelsey, I was supposed to have you read through verse 26. I will read them later. We have two examples of Abraham and Lady Rahab, okay? So we have two negative examples and two positive examples. Um, so let's look at these two negative examples of something that looks like faith but isn't. Uh, we'll call them uh, dead faith and demon faith, okay? Dead faith and demon faith. So first, let's, let's look at dead faith. Uh, verse 15, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, is if it's not accompanied by action, is... Dead. Verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Okay? So there's a thing that looks like faith, but it's actually dead. And James poses a scenario, and I'd like to pose this scenario to you, okay? I want you to imagine 
in the next year, you have a series of things happen in your life that you never anticipated, a string of horrible luck, maybe some bad decisions on your part, a combination of that, and your whole life falls apart over the next year. You end up literally losing everything you have. You end up out on the streets. Most, many of us could not possibly imagine that, but imagine over the course of a year, you lose it all. You are out on the streets, and imagine going to a friend's house, desperate, needy, totally humiliated, humbled, to ask them to help you, okay? Old friend, you go into their house, uh, and they listen to you, <laughs> and then they say uh, two things. They offer two things. First, they offer you a blessing. And the blessing in verse 16 goes this way. I'm so sorry. Go in peace. Peace, okay? Go in peace. Go, go, but go in peace, okay? You're like, <laughs> I, wasn't, I don't really need a blessing. I could, I could really use some, some food and some help and some shelter right now. And then, they, and then they give you the blessing, and then they give you some advice. I have some good advice for you, okay? Stay warm and keep yourself well-fed. And you're like, I, I, I kind of know that advice. I don't need that. I need you to be the answer to my problem right now. Um, that's what I need. And, and James is saying, faith without deeds is like that. And it's possible to do that with God, okay? It's faith in words only. It's, it's sentiment. It's religious sentiment that isn't backed by anything real, right? And how, what good is that for you? How, how helpful would that, those sentiments been for you in that situation? Not at all. And again, James is saying, but we can do that with God. And I was thinking of like, what does this look like with God? Like mere sentiment, mere just words to God that aren't backed by anything. What would it be like for God, from God's perspective to see certain people? I could imagine God saying things like, hey, I, I hear you say, let go and let God all the time. I hear you say God's in control. But every time something goes wrong in your life, you start freaking out and you start trying to control everything, <laughs> right? Like you said something, but I'm watching what actually happens. Or uh, I hear you say, you know what? I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I hear you say that, but every morning you spend an hour in front of the mirror getting yourself looking just perfect for everybody. Like, I'm hearing you say this, but I'm watching what you do, right? I hear you say, God is my treasure. God is my treasure. But you have never given me a dime. You never give, you, you hold so tightly to everything you have. This isn't faith, this is sentiment. It is dead. What good is it? Can such a faith save you? No. Why? Because it's actually not faith. <laughs> it's not living faith. It's, it's dead faith. It's faith in sentiment and words only. There's, there's a seed in there, and the seed is making all sorts of boasts, but the seed is never producing anything. It's not faith. So that's the first, first uh, counterfeit, dead faith. Uh, the second is uh, what we'll call demon faith, right? You guys even laughed. I liked Kelsey's reading of this. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God? Good for you. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Okay? God is one. That is orthodox belief. So this faith says, I have orthodox theology. I know the truths of the scriptures. I understand the gospel. I understand how the Bible all holds together. I got all of that, and that's what saves me. Paul's, or James like, good for you? Guess what? Demons have that kind of faith. Demons are probably pretty orthodox. In fact, demons probably know the Bible from cover to cover. They probably understand it better than we do. 
but they are not saved by their orthodox theology, turns out, right? Because they are not surrendered to those truths, <laughs> right? In fact, he says they shudder against those truths. They hear them and they, they shudder. Their knowledge possesses no real faith, no trust, no dependence, no true acceptance. And this is, a, I, for me, this is a tough one for those of us who've grown up in the church our whole lives. Um, James is like, guess what? Believing doctrinal truth in your head saves nobody. What? <laughs> yeah. Merely intellectual assent is what I mean. To orthodox truth saves nobody. You could keep on living a self-centered life, a life that is in no way devoted to the Lord. And you may even know people like that who got a lot in here, but there's nothing coming out of the life. And James is like, that's not actually real faith. That's dead faith. So he gives us these two negative examples, dead faith, demon faith. And then he gives us two positive examples. Um, but before he gives us these two positive examples, he, um, he, he imagines a response that someone might have to him. I think this is really interesting. Um, look at verse 18. Yeah, but someone might say, respond to me, hey, you've got faith and I've got deeds. And he's like, you know, someone might think of like faith and deeds kind of like spiritual gifts. You know, like, like the spiritual gifts, there's the gift of, you know, some, God gives people different gifts, right? You have the gift of prophecy, you have the gift of teaching, you have the gift of leadership, you have the gift of hospitality. Um, my brother has always said, I have the spiritual gift of receiving. Um, and <laughs> it's true. As a pastor at a, at a very generous church, you guys are very generous to us, uh, I've, I've really exercised my gift of receiving over the years. Um, but yeah, you know, God gives some people certain gifts, certain people other gifts. So, okay, you've got, you got faith, but I've, I've got works, right? Each, to each his own. And, and J- James's point is... Um, no, it, these aren't like two options on the list like that. That's not how this works because, because they are one thing. They're of, of the same thing together. Look, look at what he says um, at the end of verse 18. Show me your faith without deeds. And here's the phrase. I will show you my faith by my deeds. I will show you my faith by what I do. But what am I showing you? What am I showing you? My faith. The thing I'm showing you is my faith but I'm showing it to you through the way I live. It's, it's all of one thing. It's not like options on a list. <laughs> this is the thing that God is looking for, the obedience of faith. And so he gives us that scenario, and then he gives us um, two positive examples of faith. Uh, the example of Abraham, and then if you look at verse 25, he gives us the example of Rahab, okay? And next week, we'll spend the whole week looking at Abraham's story. I think it's a fascinating story. So we'll spend all next week, and I'll just, I'm going to talk about Rahab today. Um, I'll just say, I love, I love the two examples that James chooses. Um, he starts with like the most likely example you could think of, right? Abraham, male, patriarch, the man of faith, uh, the, the, the founder of the Jewish, he's, he's the um, George Washington of Israel, right? He really is. Like, it's, it's the, everything you'd expect. And then he follows that up with the most unlikely example you can imagine, okay? Rahab, obscure, um, a woman in an ancient culture, uh, not even a Jew, a Gentile, and what was her um, occupation? A prostitute, right? The, the, the least likely person you would think he would put. And he puts these two people together and says, 
They are both the same in a way. They both have this living faith that I'm talking about. So let's just look real briefly at um, the story of Rahab. Let me read to you verse 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Um, what did I do here? This doesn't make any sense. There it is. Okay. Um, story of Rahab, if you, if you don't know the story, if you've forgotten it, um, is found in Joshua 2. Okay? And this is after Israel came out of Egypt. Uh, they've had the 40 years in the wilderness, and they're just about to enter into the promised land, and they're going to start um, conquering the people there and entering in. And Jericho, the city of Jericho, is like their first city that they're going to go after. And Rahab is a native of Jericho. Uh, she is a prostitute. Her home is actually built into the city wall itself, which a lot of homes were built in. You can imagine if you're a prostitute, people could just kind of do an end around the city and come in and out, and that was a common thing in that day, right? So um, before Israel invades, she catches news of the story of Israel and Israel's God, Yahweh, and what he's been doing in Egypt and in the wilderness. Let me give you, uh, these are words that she says to the Israelite spies. I know that the Lord, Yahweh, has given you this land, her own land, uh, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Okay? I love this. God had wanted to make a name for himself. He says that. When he brought Israel out of Egypt, he said, I'm going to make a name for myself and what I do through Pharaoh, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness. And now you have this Gentile foreigner hearing about the name of Yahweh, and that is being fulfilled. And, and God is giving her faith, right? She concludes, by what I'm seeing, this Yahweh, he's the true God. He's more powerful than the gods of my ancestors, right? Like, he's, he's the real thing. Um, and he's going to win this battle. And then she has a personal thought. <laughs> I want to be on Yahweh's side, right? I, I, I want to be on this God's side. She believes in him, she trusts him, and then the key point that James is making, she banks everything on that belief, right? If this is who Yahweh is, I'm putting all my chips in with Yahweh. And so what happens is Israel sends their two spies into to Jericho and she brings them into her home and she tells them about the layout of the city. Uh, and then the, the, the king slash mayor of the city Here's that there's some strange guys, you know, in, in Rahab's place, which would be a common thing, I imagine, but these guys feel foreigner, like, what's going on? He, he goes to her place. She hides them in her roof, like you've got these thatched, thatched roofs. She puts them on top of that and then puts more branches on top of that. The king comes in, like, what are you doing? Why are you entertaining these spies? She's like, oh, um, there were some spies. Okay, I don't know where they're from. We didn't say much, but they left and they went that away. Okay. <laughs> And the king and his sends his soldiers out and they go that away. And then she brings the guys down and says, okay, um, go <laughs> that away. And they return safely to Israel. And she says, but when you come and conquer the city, remember me. And the, and the men say, okay, hey, take this, this scarlet cord, tie it on your window, okay? And when we come, 
um, we're going to devastate this city. But bring all your family members, bring them into this, who is ever in this room, you'll be safe. And that's what they do. And the whole city is destroyed, and Rahab and her family are saved. Okay? That is faith. Faith in Yahweh, but it's not just any old faith in Yahweh. It is a living faith. It is a faith that banks everything on Yahweh. And, and you could look at her and go, oh my gosh, that was a tremendous risk you took. Right? You risked it all. And she's like, yeah, but honestly, it was the only reasonable thing to do. Right? Like when you think about it, that was, that was the only reasonable sh- chance I had. And James puts her up and says, this is what we're called into. Living faith, believing in Yahweh and banking on it. (laughs) Staking your life on it. Living it out as actually the only reasonable thing (laughs) to do if Yahweh really is who he says he is. So I leave you today with her example, this living faith. And I want to leave you with uh, the phrase that I mentioned earlier in verse 18 that James says. It's this phrase. I will show you my faith by my actions. I will show you my faith. The thing I want to show you is not my actions. All I really want to show you is my faith, my trust in God. But how do I do that? The only way I do that is I show it to you by how I live my life. And I'll just say, I was really convicted by this phrase this week. Um, I do not consider myself a person of very strong faith. I I have a lot of belief, (laughs) but I would not say that I experience myself as a person of strong faith. Um, Some faith. Um, And so I was really convicted by this. And I thought, for us, I want to leave you with this, this line. And what would it look like for you to... Go through your week, and what if you were able to, as you go through your day, say to your God, God, today I want to show you my faith today by how I live this day. I want to show you that I trust you, that I cherish you. I believe you are who you say. I believe in your promises. Um, I, want to, I want to show you that today by how I live out this day. And, and the scenario I want to pose is imagine tomorrow morning you wake up, and magically God has given you just faith. The, 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 um, the anxieties, the fears, uh, the distractions, the doubts, um, the temptations have kind of just lost their hold and you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, I really trust in God today. Like, I don't know why, but I'm just, I totally trust him today. My question is, what if that happened? How would your life look different? What would you start doing that you're not doing right now? What would you stop doing that you do a lot right now? Just imagine, God just gives me more faith. I just, I trust him. And I just imagine some scenarios that some of us might say if that were true. Let me just throw a couple to get your, your, your mind thinking. I can imagine a lot of us saying, oh my gosh, if I just woke up trusting God, I wouldn't care what people think of me so much anymore. Like if I just knew God just delights in me that he's approved, like I would stop caring. All the stuff I do to try to make people think, I just like would stop. I wouldn't care anymore. Or how about this? Oh, man, I would be so much more generous with my stuff. Like all those fears and me trying to hold on and make sure, like, I just like, God's got this. I'm just going to be more generous with my stuff. Or how about this? Um, I'd start telling people about Jesus a lot more. I'd just be like, I'd just go out and say, because, I mean, who cares, right? It's, if it's awkward, that's okay, right? I'm going to trust God with that. I just, this is a beautiful thing. I want more people to know this. 
Um, or how about this? I, I would just obey the things in this book without hesitation. Like, I wouldn't work. Like, is this going to make my life better or worse? I would just, this will always be better. Like, I'm going to trust what this says and I'm going to do it. Or even, I would face death itself differently. Uh, yes, it's sad and hard as I look at my own mortality, but man, I'd have hope. I would know it's, death is a doorway to intimacy with Jesus. What would that be for you? And um, I would invite you, like, as I said, I, I don't experience myself as a person of great faith. And so I think part of it is, I was thinking this week, what if I just started praying for more faith? Like, rather than trying to muster up faith, you know, um, which I don't have, clearly. That's been 47 years. I'll be 48 on Tuesday, and it still hasn't come that much. So <laughs> chances are it's not coming um, on my own. Maybe a starting point is, God, would you give me faith today? Like, give me a faith that I don't have. Um, Help me. Faith is a gift from God. God, give me faith so that I could live out the obedience of faith. So that, did I put that up again? There it is. Yes. So that over the years, these little plants grow into these oak trees, oaks of righteousness. And And when Christ returns, we will stand before him, not as perfect people, but as these trees where we can say, God, look at our trust in you through the lives we live, through a hundred different decisions, a thousand different decisions every day that in their own way are simply saying one thing, I trust you. You are trustworthy. And that is what God wants. That's all he's asking for. Just trust me. I don't need anything else. Just trust me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, give us faith, even this week, in the little things, in the big things. And before we try to muster something up inside of us, what we need is just a reminder that you are faithful, that you are trustworthy, that you are good, that you are in control, that you love us, that you are working in the tough and in the good, in all things. So take our eyes off of ourselves and put our eyes onto you and your faithfulness, and then help us just to live freely in that place of trust. I pray for those who are especially anxious or who are holding tightly to things that you want them to let go of or who are full of doubts and confusion, Lord, would you grant your presence upon them this week in their hearts and minds? Would they experience you? Would they know you through your scriptures and your great promises, Lord, this week in a fresh way? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.